We crack codes, we break molds It's all gold, it's so cold, it's no holes Let's get it, boy All right, let's get it, let's get it, let's get it What's up, everyone? This is Jeremy with No Holds, and man, I am very excited about this one. We have the one, we have the only, uh, Josh, Pastor Josh Ring. What's going on, bro? What's going on, man? How are you? It's good to Great. see you this evening. Dude, I know, man. It, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. How about yourself? Man, I'm, I'm the blessed one. It's an honor to be here. Uh, super excited to just get to chat with you, uh, get an opportunity to speak to your listeners, your followers, and uh, excited for what God is doing through No Holds, and just glad to be a part of it, man. Yes, sir. Um, I can probably tell you right now, Pastor Ben is going to be mad because you're on here before he is. <laughs> I like that. I'll, I'll be sure. I'll be sure to let him know. So. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, he is probably going to say something to me. He's like, oh, you got Josh Ring before me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I got, I'll text him when we get off of here, make sure he knows he knows what, <laughs> what tonight was. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. Well, let's uh man, let's just kind of get started with some uh favorite color. Favorite color is red, as you can see here in the back. The whole world could uh could know that your boy's a huge Buckeye fan. And so I uh you know, our boys are playing in the national championship on Monday, so you know, red's yeah. my favorite color for, for that reason and many other reasons. So red, I like it, man. I like it. All right. Favorite food, favorite food, um, sushi, favorite food is sushi of any kind. Um, probably prefer more raw stuff over cooked stuff. Oh, okay. But sushi is my jam. Nice. Nice. I like sushi. I didn't ever, I didn't think I'd like it, but I tried it. It's been a while already, but the first time I tried it, Andrea made me do it, and I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, I didn't try it for the first time because I was probably 28, maybe. I don't know. Like, I, I went my whole life without having it and realized that, man, that's the boss. So it just uh, never looked good to me, but now it's, 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 it's top notch. So, <laughs> heck yeah. Heck yeah. All right. The best. No, I'd start with the worst advice you've ever received. Worst advice I've ever received, man, that's a tough question. I feel like I've been honored and blessed to have some amazing mentors in my life to have given me great advice uh, throughout the years. And so I don't know if I've ever like had any like memorable, bad advice moments. I got mm. inspired from, spared from that, man. I think that, um, Lord's been good to me with people he's placed in my life and in leadership. And so okay. mentor is important. If you don't got one out there, you'll get you a mentor that can help you walk through tough situations in life. So <laughs> there you go. No, that's, that's some good advice right there for sure. Okay. Well then the best advice you ever received. Um, best advice I have ever received. And it's something that I still use to this day, this very simple sentence that says, or really just two words, follow peace. Mm. Um, I was going through some a difficult decision that I had to make and one of my mentors at the time told me he said man he said follow peace he goes everybody's looking for an answer from God but oftentimes God answers through his peace and man I can tell you how many times I've been able to make difficult decisions whether that be with ministry 
my family, my kids, by just allowing the Lord to give me peace over that situation. I think that naturally as people, when we ask a question, we expect an answer. So when we ask God, do I turn right here? We want to yes. um, oftentimes his yes comes in the form of peace. And uh, I think that that was just such valuable information because it really freed me from having to feel like I needed to hear some specific direction from the Lord. God will allow me to be led. Um, God will allow me to make decisions and then he'll just nudge my peace level if it's something that is going to lead me down a path that he doesn't approve of. And so, um, man, following peace is just so, so powerful. Um, so best advice I still to this day implement in my life and also teach to my students and those around me. So follow peace. I love it. That, that's man. That is actually some really, really like deep. If you think about it, deep, like advice for sure to, to always follow, you know, I mean, Holy spirit is just, he gives you that peace, man. And, and, and I'm glad he gave me the peace to, to do this, to hear people's yeah, stories sure. because um, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very excited to hear what you have to share and your testimony. And, um, I want to know, like, I know, I kind of know Josh Ring now. Funny, um, man, awesome pastor, man. You, you gave some good word, man. No lie. Like, I got a lot of feedback from some of the students on how, how they just love hearing you, you know, at the Expand Conference. And, um, but now I want to know, how, how was Josh Ring growing up? How was it? Where were you born? And Yeah, man, for sure. So Josh Ring growing up... Um, there's nothing like Josh Ring that you see today. Um, there's obviously certain aspects of who I am that still carry throughout my years. But um, so I was born in Southern California. Um, we lived in a, a town called a city called San Bernardino. Um, if anybody from Cali that's from Southern Cali knows that San Bernardino, even to this day, is just a ru really rough, rough city. Mm. Um, and so my parents decided to move away from there because at the age of like seven or eight years old, I could tell them when, when gunfire was happening around our house, I would be able to tell them what kind of gun it was. So oh. I'd be like, dad, that's a shotgun or dad, that's a, that's a pistol or dad, that's a, you know, that's a semi-automatic weapon. Or um, I got to the point where I heard it so often he had, you know, taught me so much to like, I knew what it was. And so my dad knew like, I can't raise my kids in this environment. And so, oh. I always remember this, like just the sacrifice, like my dad, um, my dad wasn't always there because he worked a lot, but he was always making decisions for our family to help advance us. And things that I took for granted as a kid that I now look back and say, wow, like that's such a huge sacrifice my dad made. And so he had a 69 Camaro, beautiful car, uh, yellow with black stripes. He had put money into it, time into it. That's his I mean, it was just a, like a dream car for a car guy. And he sold that car and bought a station wagon so that he could move our family across the country to Indiana. And so at uh, nine years old, we moved to Indiana. And so I spent most of my life there, um, graduated high school from there, um, did grow up in church. Um, but about 15 years old, I started working at this place where I was just around some rough people and started making some some tough decisions. And um, really straight away from the Lord pretty far. So like I went to church because it's what my parents made me do, but mm. I was drinking, um, smoking, doing drugs already at 15 years old and continue to do so until I was about 
18 and then went through like between 18 and 21, I felt like at probably every four months I was either living for the Lord or would slip back into sin or life and in, 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 a, in an awesome church moment or the next Saturday night I'm at the club or, and so I went through that, you know, three year period where it was just such a rocky up and down. Um, and so I finally ended up moving to, to Bible school at Rama. And so, um, so that's a little bit about the early years of my life. Um, and then stuff, when I moved to Oklahoma stuff, if that's not interesting enough already, stuff really started getting interesting whenever I, whenever I moved to Oklahoma. So, yeah. Um, did you, uh, brothers, sisters, any siblings? So I have a um, full full brother. Uh, I have a half sister who has the same mom, different dads, and that was a different. That was another dynamic to my story too. Is that um, my sister grew up in a home that was um, just very mentally, um, emotionally abusive. Mm. Her dad was just a tough, tough cookie, and he just was emotionally abusive to to her. And so that she passed that down to me. And so she would, she, she treated me very poorly. And so she actually created some huge insecurities in me um, as a kid that she didn't even realize she was doing because, you know, she just was passing down what she saw, what she saw was the proper way to treat, you know, people that were younger than you. And, um, and so, you know, I, I spent years through my teenage years and that was part of why I strayed away for so long and why I was searching and doing different things is because, man, I was broken. Like I, I was depressed. I was suicidal. I was, you know, I, I hated myself. I had no self-worth and a lot of that stemmed from my relationship with my sister. And so, yeah. Um, like how did you deal with it? Uh, I know you said you were, you kind of straight away, but you were kind of on and off. Like, were you close to any, maybe your youth leaders or were you close to anybody that you can open up to and about, you know, what was going on in your life at that time? Yeah, for sure. And so um, I, I had mentioned earlier in the call about mentors that God has placed in my life. And I've been blessed even since my teenage years. Um, so in youth ministry, so like my parents' philosophy was, if you're living in our house, you're going to church. Mm. So even though when I was, when I turned 15, they basically let me do what I wanted to. Like, they just were like, if you're going to leave, like he's going to leave anyways, like, let's just let him leave. So he doesn't trust the guy out. And so they didn't care. Like they know, like if you're up drinking on a Saturday night, like it don't matter. You're going to church on Sunday. Like you're going to be, you're going to be there. And so I was, I had to go to youth. Youth group was on Sunday nights. I didn't have a choice. I had to be there. So I went and there was a particular youth leader. And it's funny because like, this is just a shout out to all the youth leaders out there that maybe feel like, um, like you're just a youth leader. So like you can't truly impact the student. And I think that I, you know, a lot of, a lot of leaders go through that because they think, well, I'm not their pastor. Well, here's the thing, like I had tons of youth pastors, but there was one youth leader to this day that still sticks out as somebody who made a huge impact and honestly helped shape and mold who I am today. And his name was Anthony LeBlanc. And he, he went by, he's a black dude, bald head, and he called himself the bald headed Jesus freak. And that's what he wanted everybody to call him. Like he didn't want to go by Anthony. He's like, man, I'm the bald headed Jesus freak. And um, man, I just remember watching him, like his relationship was with God was so authentic. And I had seen um, part of my issue and why it was so easy for me to stray away is that I watched my parents who were so adamant about going to church, but then they didn't look like Jesus at home. Fought about money in front of me and my brother. They they had a they had a they were they were married and they never got divorced, but they had a horrible marriage. Like they never showed love. It was just so like 
Jesus was never seen in my home. Hmm. And so I thought Christianity was hypocritical. I thought it was just a bunch of nonsense. And he helped show me how authentic our relationship with God can really be. Man, the way he worshiped, the way he carried himself, the, the love that he had for people. Um, man, still to this day, it affects me so much. And um, yeah, man, it's just something that, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know you're out there killing it, serving with Pastor Mike and, um, and even just an encouragement for you, man. Like, bro, you have an opportunity to make true life lasting impact as a youth leader, like never discount your role and what you're doing in, in, uh, in that church. I watch this call, man, like keep doing what you're doing. Um, you know, you're, you're making it, you're making an impact. I can, I, I'm a testament of how much just a, a youth leader can, can make an impact in a student's life. And so. Dude, that's so, that's so good. Cause I know there's been times where me or maybe even, even late, like other leaders that I've talked to, you know, they've felt that the exact same way. It's like, you know, why am I even here? Like, am I making an impact at all? But dude, everything you just said, that's it. Yes. Like I've, I've talked to students and like, even today, today I actually had lunch with the former student that was there, graduated, married and kind of, you know, I don't know if he's starting a family just yet, but um, he had said, dude, you were, you were very well loving, very welcoming, you know, you, I, it was so easy to open up to you. So when I can remember that, when I can remember my whys on why am I here, it's just so easy, man. And it's so, you know, so easy for me to just to love on these students, man. It's, it's, and it's, it's amazing, man. That, that's, yeah, that's so sure. good though. Heck yeah. Um, so like the relationship between y'all now, like, is it pretty good? I guess you and your sister. So, and, um, we're good now, but when I tell you, we went through years of just, um, the, the part of what made that situation worse is that my parents didn't believe me that it was taking place. Mm, um, yeah. I, I, I would tell them and they just assumed that I was trying to get attention or, so I, I not only had to deal with the, the, the verbal and emotional abuse, but I didn't have anybody to, to turn to because my, my parents were just like, they did, they didn't believe it. And so it came out. My sister, when I graduated from high school, my sister had remorse for how she treated me. And so she brought me out to California where she lives and paid for this, like paid for everything for this like extravagant vacation, essentially that we went on. I mean, we spent days, we went to Dodger Stadium and had like amazing scenes watching Dodgers game. We went up to Vegas and spent a few days in Vegas and did some things in Arizona. It was like this amazing time. But like, even I, I told my mom, I was like, I feel like she's, rather than talking about what happened and what took place and allowing us to have a conversation, like she's just trying to buy my love back. Mm. And so we did that. And then we went years without talking to each other again. And just recently, actually, whenever I moved down here to Texas, um, back in April of 2019, she just reached out and like apologized for everything. Like it was the first time she actually acknowledged that there was an issue with how our relationship was and how she treated me. And she, um, at this time, you know, she had two kids that I had never met. My nephew was 16 years old. I had never met him. My niece was 12 years old. I had never met her. Oh, wow. um, and she took a trip. Her and the kids came out here, uh, down here to Texas to visit. They went and picked up my parents from Tulsa and came down here. And so that was the first time our family had been together in, since I was 17, I think. Um, so it was super awesome. And so, yeah, man, like I would literally for years struggle with it, but have watched God like as recent as 2019 
restore. Um, and we're not close, but like th there's no, there's no more hurt there. There's no more, there's no more pain. There's no more, um, you know, I, I was harboring unforgiveness that I didn't realize that I was harboring still. And so to see all that stuff kind of be set free now I have a, you know, a <clears throat> get to have a relationship with my, with my nephew, you know, say my nephew graduated 18 years old and me and him get to talk on the regular now. And so like, that's super awesome for me, especially, you know, in youth ministry, to think about the fact that I had teenage niece and nephew that I had no connection with was difficult. And so to be reconnected with them has been, been super awesome. So. No, oh, man. Heck yeah. That's, that's amazing, man. That's, that's awesome, bro. Um, what about between you and your brother? How's the relationship between you and your brother? So my brother, man, I love that dude so much. We've always had a good relationship. Um, I, the, here's how I describe my brother. Um, if for some odd reason, my brother ends up watching this. He'll, he'll, he won't even be upset. Like he'll completely understand when I use this to, to explain to people, but um, just as outgoing as I am. So like I'm on the extreme end of extra extrovert. I, I'll talk to anybody. I'm crazy. I'm loud. I'm, I'm wild. I'm on the extreme end of extrovert. He's just as introverted as I am extroverted. Um, he is just as um, he doesn't want to be around people. Um, he's missed family, like important family events because he didn't want to be around family that he didn't talk to that often. Mm. Um, and so he, we have a, as good of a relationship as you could have with somebody who is literally polar opposites as you, and he would prefer not to talk. So we only talk a few times a year, um, but we're good. Like we, like, it's just, it's like a weird, like it's an understanding of like, one he's the one who would rather just completely keep to himself and um but he's a he's a good dude man he lives down here in fort worth actually and so um, i've got to see him once since i've been down here but yeah he's a good dude man that's that's good heck yeah man um love to hear that you know that you still keep it like that y'all are still a family you know i know sometimes i talk to different people and they, they don't have connection with either like maybe some one part of the family or maybe all of them, but to hear that y'all are together and to hear that you even have family, you know, restored, you know, coming back. Like that's, that's awesome, man. That, that's, that, that's awesome to hear. Um, you said you had moved to Tulsa. Well, hold on. Yes, Let me sir. take it back a little bit. Um, what, what introduced you to drugs? Was it just something that you were curious about or was it just something that uh, maybe it was the friends you were hanging out with or. Yeah, it was for the friends I was hanging out with. Um, and so, like I said, I, I had got my first job, um, at a Italian pizza place called Mancino's, um, best breadsticks hands down I've ever had still to this day in my life. I, I wish I had a, it was the local place. They don't have it here, but I always remember their breadsticks, but yeah, man, I, I worked at that job and I was the youngest on, on the team. So I was 15. That's the youngest they would hire. And I was the only 15 year old. And so all the other people that worked there were 18, 19, early 20s. So those are the people I started hanging out with. And um, yeah, man, it just a mix of curiosity um, with how much time I was spending with them. Mm. Um, plus that just that pain that I had that I was trying to, no, yeah. I didn't realize at the time that it was from stuff that we had that happened between my sister. Like I just knew that like, bro, I didn't like myself. I hated myself as a person. I hated everything. Like, I just didn't like anything about myself. And it was a way that I felt like I could escape, you know, like if I, if I, if I do this and if I smoke this, I, I can escape from reality life is. And, uh, 
yeah, man, that's what it, that's, that's how it started. And, um, then after that, it's just, you know, sin is fun. And, and it, it was after that, it was just that, Oh, wow. Like, that's cool. I like, I like how I feel when I do that, you know? And so, um, God, I've tried anything, um, super crazy, um, you know, kept it pretty minimal. And so that I'm all, I've always been thankful for that just because I have friends that have, that had, you know, went all the way to cocaine and different things like that. And so I just, I'm thankful that I escaped before it started getting, getting too wild. Um, and so, but yeah, man, it was just a way of escape. You know, it was, it was the people I was hanging out with, with the, with the mix of just needing, feeling like I needed to escape pain that I was feeling. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I understand that for sure. Um, and then after high school, you said, I guess you got into drinking. Well, I, I also drank in my, mm-hmm. in my, in my teen years. And, uh, but it did get worse after high school. And it's funny. Cause like then once I turned 21, it slowed down dramatically once it was like a legal thing for me to, <laughs> to actually do. I think it just, the feel of it went down a lot. Um, but yeah, man, spent a lot of time just at parties and, um, you know, terrible situations too. Like, man, I, there's just so many times where like, I look back and I'll say, why did I keep drinking like alcohol poisoning? And I had, I watched my best friend get jumped on day and, um, you know, just like they're just things that wouldn't happen if I just stayed away from that kind of lifestyle, you know, and then, but it's crazy how that stuff draws you in and you just continue to come back to it, even though there's usually obvious signs that like this ain't the move, you know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Like there's, there's better than this out there somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know, and we watch people all the time that that stay stuck in that trap, even though it's obvious Mm -hmm. that, that that's not, that ain't it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. there's that, that, that's not it. Definitely. What made you, uh, you had said you moved to Tulsa because of a Bible school. Yes, sir. But, uh, from going from drugs to that, like what made you want to go to Bible school? Yeah, for sure. No, great question. Um, so before 15 and before I started working at that job and getting into the trouble, I was at a youth conference. Um, I think I was 14, maybe even 13. And I just felt like I was watching the person at the conference minister. And I said to myself, I can do that. And it was like this knowing of like, I think that's when God like implanted the calling to, to vocational ministry and speaking ministry at that moment. But it was just such a subtle drop of like, it didn't feel like some crazy moment. Like I've had, you know, I have still have students to this day ask me like, how do you know that you're called to ministry? Mm. Like, well, now it's like an internal, just, I just know, like I, I I'm in tune with the spirit. I know God, I know my, I know that's what he's called me to do. But like, they're all wanting that moment like this, like did God come down and write on the wall or did God, you know, like what was this magical moment for you? That you just knew that you were supposed to be in ministry. I literally just looked at this dude and I said, I could do that. And when I, every time I would get my life right, you know, I talked about those, those few years that I went kind of just back and forth between living for God and living for the world. Every time I would come back to God, I came back with the mindset of, okay, I'm getting serious this time. I get, get into ministry. And finally, um, it was April or May of 2005. I was so like, I was at, you know, you hear people talk about hitting rock bottom. And I felt like that was my rock bottom moment where I, said, I can't keep going back and forth. I can't continue to live like this. I can't try to like 
mask my pain with drugs and alcohol. Like I need something that can actually like heal me. Like, I don't want to just cover. I want to, I want to be healed. And that's when I turned to God and I said, okay, God, like I've truly given you my full life and say, use me. And so that's what I did in April. Well, then I had this calling that I remember that I had that moment that I felt and my buddy, my best friend at the time was going to bring him to go to Bible school. And I was just, so that was in May of 2005. In August of 2005, I'm moving down to Rama to go to Bible school. And it sounds like a cool story. And it sounds like, oh, wow, like God did an amazing work. Well, the problem is, is I was still so fresh from living a life of sin. I wasn't ready for like the challenges of Bible school. Because one of the things that people don't realize is that the deeper you give your life to the Lord, the more the enemy gets upset about that. Like the devil didn't like the fact that I, that I turned away from him completely. And now I'm turning towards all his, everything he can to try to win me back. And bro, on the way to Bible school, driving our U-Haul, we stop at our hotel and there's a guy standing next to me that smells like weed. Hmm. And I just asked him, Hey bro, you high? like I just making conversation. He was like, yeah, man. He goes, we got plenty in the hotel room. You want to come back? We'll smoke you out. And I did it. You know, here I am on the way to Bible school and at this random hotel just happens to be, and I go into some random dude's hotel and smoke weed with some random stranger. Like that's the stupidest thing I've ever, like ever heard of. Like don't do that for many reasons. But, um, and then my first year at Rayma, I just struggled, you know, of course, you know, you think Bible school is, is going to be all people that are, that are pursuing a relationship with God at the highest level. And, um, you, you're going to find what you want to find wherever you go in life. And mm. I was able to locate the 15 other kids there that were down to drink. And so we started partying while at Rama. And so finally we ended up getting caught. And every single one of my friends that I hung out with was kicked out of Rama my first year. Oh, wow. And the Dean had grace on me simply because he was best friends with my pastor from my home church. And essentially what he told me is, is I'm not going to kick you out. I need you to finish. I need you to be here every day. Like we'll put you in like academic probation or whatever. So I had to meet with the counselor every week. Um, but essentially said, I'm not gonna let you come back your second year. Like you need to like figure out if ministry is what you want. And if it is, then you can come back. So I did my first year in 2005 and I took a break. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do my second year like most people, you know, go consecutively and get their second year done and graduate and live happily ever after for Jesus. And my story, my story looks so different, man. And so um, I don't know how much you want me to continue. I can talk forever. So I want to give you opportunity to like guide the conversation. So <laughs> no, no, no. Like I, I like it, man. I, I, I like just, I like listening to people's stories. You know, I, I want to know. Sometimes I, I may forget to like ask different, you know, questions, but just hearing you, you know, I, I think that's a, yeah, that's a big part. Just, you know, I want to know what you did during that For year. Sure. What did you like, what did you do? Did, was it so, still something that you were, you still go out and party more or did you, you know, I mean, quit partying or. Yeah. So ironically, man, I, uh, for the most part I did, I quit partying. Um, I, you know, minor things like I cigarettes and from Tara and, She's still mad about that to this day. I think now she's forgiven me, but um, yeah, I went yeah. through, I went through, you, you kind of cut out there. What was it? 
no, I said I went through a season where I I was smoking like cigarettes and stuff like that. Nothing <laughs> major. And I, but I didn't, but I didn't tell Tara and she was my girlfriend at the time. And oh, okay. I, hid it, I hid it from her for like six months. And so she was pretty mad at me whenever she found out, but um, no, but I stopped drinking. What, what's crazy is, is that my life took a weird turn in the sense that I had a job. I worked for great paying job at one of the worst jobs I've ever had doing credit card collections. And I worked this job and they, they were, they had like this super lenient schedule to where you could take a lot of time off simply because their retention rate is so high. They try to reward you with time off so that you stay working for them. Mm. And I abused the mess out of that, that Liberty that we had to where when I finally did get sick, like for real, I had no sick time left because I had used it all to just take time off for no, you know, for no other reason. <laughs> and so I got fired from that job while being sick, had a doctor's note to be off work. Like, but it didn't matter because the, the allotted time that I had available for sick pay, I had used to just call in because I was lazy, you know? So I ended up getting fired from that job, get my truck. I had a 97 Silverado that I love so much still hurts me to talk about it, but I got my truck repossessed. Um, cause I had no money. Um, I, my roommate was phenomenal. He paid all our to be looking for work, went three months without finding a job. Um, no car and was literally to the point where he was getting ready to move back to Michigan. And I was going to move back in with my parents because I had nothing. I had nowhere else to go. And it's crazy because out of the blue and from Bible school, my, from that first year, um, he called me, he goes, Hey man, what have you been doing? Like, I haven't talked to you in forever. He goes, what, what's, what's going on in your life right now? And I was like, honestly, man, nothing like, the only good thing I have right now is my girlfriend. But the only thing I have worth talking about, like I'm about to be moving in with my parents. I have no job. I have no car. Like I'm the epitome of a bum. Like I'm just a bum right now. I'm like bumming off somebody else's rent. And he goes, well, what if I told you I could get you a job and a place to serve in ministry? I said, bro, like, I'm, he goes, and a place to live, like everything, like everything you need. I was like, dude, the alternative is I go move in with my parents as a, you know, 23, 24 year old at this time, I think it was actually 25 year old guy. I was like, I'm not trying to move in with my parents. Yes. Sign me up wherever I got to go. We got to come to liberal Kansas. Now, if you don't know what liberal Kansas is, which I assume most people don't know what liberal Kansas is. Yeah. It is a small town in Southwest Kansas of about 15,000 people. That's in the middle of nowhere. Um, the closest thing to do any real shopping is either Amparillo or Wichita, which are both three hours away. And, but that's better than moving my parents. And so I did it. And it's crazy. That was in 2008. And I literally watched God restore so much in my life during the two years that I lived in that town, serving in ministry. I did everything at that church from children's ministry, um, helped with the children's. I did the we did a puppet show every week and I got to do the puppets cause I was crazy and got to do different voices for all of them. It was tons of fun. Um, helped in the youth ministry. I sang on main stage, helped lead worship and, um, and just watched God in two years really prepare my heart and show me that like ministry is, is who you are. Like ministry is what, like what I've called you to do, what I've placed you on this life to do. And while we're there, you know, Side note for ministry, aside from ministry, me and my wife, uh, Tara at the time, we're boyfriend and girlfriend. We got engaged while I lived there. So we spent two years of our relationship, long distance. Um, I came down to Tulsa once a month to, to see her. And 
we spent our entire engagement apart. Um, mm -hmm. So we were engaged. We were engaged for a year. I lived in Kansas. She lived here. And then in 2010, I moved back down to Tulsa. We got married, and then I went finally went back for my second year of Bible school, and graduated in 2011. So I did my first year in 2005, and my second year in 2010. Um, so I always joke and say it took me six years to graduate a two-year program. And so, um, but yeah, man, just watch God restore, and um, you know the yeah. rest is all all <laughs> all gravy after that, man. How did how did you and Tara meet? So me and Tara actually met at a um, there's this place right up the street called Reverend Jughead's. Bro, I'm telling you, this is a place that needs to be started in a college town like Lubbock or something because it was a Christian pool hall. Mm. And they also had a coffee shop mixed in with like an area that they on the weekends would have local Christian artists come and perform. And when I tell you that was the dopest hangout for, for Christian teenagers, um, dopest hangout for Christian young twenties. You know, and anyways, I spent a lot of time up there and I would see her there all the time. And she, somebody I went to school with. And so I was just like, Hey man, like, what's up with that girl over there? Like she's single. Like she can like, can I talk to her? And, uh, it's funny. Cause she's like, yeah, let me introduce you guys. So she introduced us. And then after that, I just, I didn't really talk to her much. I just apparently would Tara talks about it like this. So I would just like stare at her whenever I was, you know, at the, at the pool hall at the same time, <laughs> at the same time she was. And uh, then one time, man, we were, I was there with my boys and she was there on a date and she'll never say, she'll never admit it was a date, but it was a date. It was just her and a guy that liked her. You know, they were just the two of them together. I don't know if, if that's not a date. I don't know what it is, you know, and uh, it was me and my boys having guys night and I kept checking her out and I was like, man, she's so fine. And they were like, why don't you just go talk to her? I was like, I'm not gonna go talk to her. Like she's on a date. Like, I got to respect that dude. I'll talk to her another time. I was like, I see her up here all the time. I'll eventually talk to her. And they're like, oh, you're scared. <laughs> and as a guy, you know, that uh, challenges our ability to have courage. Um, that, that, don't, that don't fare very well. And so mm -hmm. as soon as they said I was scared, I was like, okay, fine, I'll go do it. And so I ended up going up and talking to her while she's on this date. And never do, I've never seen a guy hit a pool ball so hard um, as I'm talking to her. The dude was pretty <laughs> matted. Um, anyway, I'm getting her number. Um, I will say, I would say it was all fine and gravy from there, but she actually stood me up three times before she finally went on a date with me. Mm. And, um, but praise God, I persevered and, um, <laughs> it's like, God made it, God made it happen. And here we are today, three kids later. So 10 years and three kids later. Oh man. Heck yeah. Dude, did you, have you always had just that personality? You know, you're, uh, you're funny, that funny, you know, personality that you have. I have been, um, and it's funny because I, I always felt like it's been both my greatest strength, but at times my greatest weakness. Mm. Um, it's always been my greatest strength simply because it gives me like, I'm so comfortable not only talking to people individually one-on-one, -on -one, but like I've never had a fear of being on stage. Mm. Uh, I've never experienced stage people talk about if I'm nervous, it's because I care about what I'm getting ready to do. So like I always get nervous when I get ready to preach, even still. I get nervous when I'm at camp, like, but the reason why is it's not because I'm nervous about being in front of people. It's nervous because I want to do well because I care about it so much. So it's a different kind of nerves. And, but it's also at times been my greatest weakness because I've gone years where people could not take me serious. 
So trying to lead people or trying to speak into people's lives or like people have always been able to accept me as Josh, like that dude's going to make us laugh. He like, if, if we're in the same room as him, like it's going to be a good time. But then that same thing created an issue for me whenever I had like you, like early on in ministry, like I had youth leaders that didn't, didn't even respect me because like, I'm just a dude that jokes a lot. Like I don't have any good insight to put, to put into people or other times I just shoot myself in the foot by being in a serious conversation and making too much light of it. You know what I'm saying? And so it's funny because like, it's actually something that I've had to grow through to get to the place where I'm at now, where the people underneath me, I can actually like pour into them rather than it just being, you know, something that is almost over the top for people, you know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, man. No, um, I know whenever uh, I first met you, it, it, it got to have been at Camp Awakening. You know, I honestly don't even, I don't remember how we met, but the only, like, I can remember just, um, wait, wait. I think that was the first time. <laughs> yeah, so um, dumb. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's so dumb, but we, but we still, we still perfect. joke about it now, you know, yes, and, sure. but, um, from then, like, I just knew you as funny Josh, you know, just, you know, he's, he's just funny, you know, he's funny. He's, he's awesome to be around. He's funny. But like I said, at the very beginning, when we did, um, um, expand, when we had that conference and you came, dude, there was a different side of you that I'd never seen before. Yeah. And, um, I was like, it left me amazed, you know, it was like, wow. Like I did not know you can preach that way. I did not like, it was just, it amazed me to see, that side of you and it was just it was it was a blessing to me and i was like man that's dude this dude's got the total package he can make people laugh and he can make people cry at the same time like yeah wow like it it was just it was a blessing man like i said and just even my wife you know (laughs) same way she was like i'd never seen that side like i've never never heard josh preach you know and just to hear him preach it was like dude he got everybody's attention like, yeah, like, like, just like you said, like, it may be a weakness to make people laugh, but, and, and, and it, but it is one of your greatest strengths because you got everybody's attention. And as soon as you started talking, you started speaking into their lives. It was like, it was just like the Holy spirit, man. was just definitely in that place, man. It was yeah. amazing, bro. Yes. That's awesome. man. I appreciate that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. And um, so you get married. How did you propose? So funny because like I said, we were living apart. And so we had went ring shopping together. And so she knew it was coming and she knew it was coming soon. And I only saw her once a month. So like, she knew like, there's only, this dude's only got a few opportunities to actually do this. And so one of the weekends I come down, it was like the weekend I'm like, this weekend. And it's funny because like, I went through so many different things in my head on how I was going to propose and what I was going to do. And, um, you know, I see all these videos of people doing all these crazy proposals and, Um, but what I wanted it, I wanted it desperately, like more than I wanted it to be cool, more than I wanted it to be like this extravagant moment. Like I wanted it to be a surprise. Mm. I don't know why it was so important to me, but like, I wanted it, I wanted her to not see it coming. Yeah. Like I wanted it to catch her off guard. And it was so hard to accomplish that because she like, she knew it was coming. She knew I had the ring. She knew that like the time was coming soon. We were already talking about stuff and down a weekend and the whole weekend I planned to just do fun stuff the whole weekend so we did probably 10 different things that could have easily any of them been engagement moments but at each one of those moments and like she took off all her rings like she was ready to like 
you know, she took off all her and we go through this whole Saturday and of all these fun events and I don't ask her. And she was so visibly upset when we're getting ready to go to bed that night. And I stayed with her parents, you know, in another room, of course, but whenever I come visit, I stay with her, her family and we're going to bed and I tuck her in, I leave. I go to my bed and she was visibly like very upset that like, man, I really thought today was going to be the day. Like he's not gonna have time to do it tomorrow because we're gonna go to church and then he's going to leave. And I end up going into the room and then I get prepared and I waited for an hour, hour and a half until she was asleep. And then I went into her room and I turned on our song, which is all my life by Casey and Jojo. Uh, turn it on on my phone to wake her up. And she turns over to see my in the middle of the night. And so, um, yeah, man, ended up prying my eyes out in the middle of the night and ask, asking her to be my wife. And so, um, but she, she was surprised. She was upset at first and then, you know, was able to sleep happy that night. So. <laughs> dude, yeah, man. Casey and Jojo, dude. They yes. Were, yes. <laughs> it's, it's the business right there. So. <laughs> <laughs> dude, so how was it, man? How hard was it to be away? You know, you're engaged, you have this long, um, um long distance relationship like how how hard is that um but it was also it was also super healthy for us in in one big way is that like we had you know one of my coolest parts um of my testimony is that my wife is the only only person i've ever ever been with mm, okay. um and i was always proud of that but i made so many mistakes when it came to drinking or to um smoking weed or doing other things that like I was proud to be able to stand on the fact that in, in the mix of crazy life that I lived, I never had sex. And my wife, I saved myself for my wife. Um, but I didn't save myself. I saved my wife, but I didn't go for marriage. And oh, so, hey, me, you know, me, um, could you know, you, me, could you repeat that? You cut out again, my man. Yes, sir. No, I said, I said, I, I, I saved myself for my wife, but I didn't save myself for marriage. <laughs> and so we, uh, we, we got into, you know, all kinds of fun stuff while we were dating. And uh, it was a big deal to me because I, I stood on the, the fact that, that, that sex was supposed to be for marriage. And I believed that and I wanted that for my life. But once you fall into it, man, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to, mm-hmm. to, to just stop, especially when you, you're with the person you spend the rest of your life with. Like it just, it felt normal because I'm like, this is going to be my wife eventually anyways. Um, but having that time apart really helped us. Um, you know, we, we were able to, for the last, I don't know, probably eight to 10 months, um, remain pure with each other to where our wedding night still was a special moment yeah. rather than it just been another, another time, you know what I'm saying? And so, um, the distance helped with that, but it was hard with, with other things. I mean, like only getting to see each other once a month and, um, all of our communication being via phone. And you know, this was before, um, you know, FaceTime and different things oh, like yeah. that. So. Um, I think that Skype was just coming out, but I didn't, I didn't have a computer. So it was like, that was the only way you could use Skype back then. And um, so like, didn't, I didn't actually even get to see her face, you know, except for once a month. Yeah. And then there was occasionally where I was busy working and would have to skip a month. And that was always oh, hard man. too, you know, when it was like two months go by before you see each other and yeah, it was tough. It was challenging, but we never had any moments where I felt like the the relationship was in jeopardy. I feel like um, because of the changes positively that were happening in my life, they were also, you know, 
I was becoming a better boyfriend, better fiance for her um, mm-hmm. in the process of, of just getting other areas of my life fixed. And so, um, yeah, it was just more of a strengthening moment than, than anything, man. So. Heck yeah, man. That's awesome. That's good. Um, then you go back to Rama, and is that you wanted to go back to Rama? I did, and I was ready this time. Yeah, and I was, what did you what did you go to like? What was your uh, so? I, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny because like I always thought like I've always felt a call to youth ministry. Obviously, I'm in youth ministry still at 36, 37 now. Um, and but whatever reason, I felt like God was leading me to take pastoral like pastoral ministries. And I think the reason why is just because. I learned so much to help make me a better youth pastor mm-hmm. by taking more like pastorally general generalized things. And down here to Texas, I was associate pastor with John Coates up at father's house. Um, and so, you know, I, I, it was, it was valuable for me to have, you know, to, to have studied in that way rather than just youth ministry. So. Yeah, definitely. And how was that last year of, of Raymond for you? Awesome. Um, significantly different. Um, so my first year, not only was I getting into partying, but like, like you said, my personality is crazy. I was single. My first year, I was single. So like, yeah. I was crazy. I was up till five in the morning every night, hanging out with people. Like I knew, I knew ninety percent of the students in my class that year, um, no matter what age they were, just because I was talking to everybody. Um, whereas in my second year, complete opposite. I didn't know but five people because I was more focused. Like I just was focused on, I'm here to f- finish my call, try to make friends. Like most of these people are gonna move back to their hometown after after they leave here anyways, they're gonna move off somewhere else. Like I'm cool with my family, I'm cool with my friends I have. I just wanna go, I wanna learn, I wanna fulfill the call that God put on my life and I wanna get done. And mm-hmm. so it's just between, I mean, they're just polar opposites in how they looked, so. Man, heck yeah. Dude, that's, that's, that's awesome, man. And, and, um, after that, what happened after that? Um, when did you start serving at father's house? So father's house came significantly later in the story. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm a backtrack. I'm a backtrack a little bit just because a huge part of my testimony, like we've talked so much obviously already, but, um, I wanted to make sure that we got to this part of my testimony because this really helps define who me and my wife are as, as a couple and, um, just situations that we went through that really, helped us become the people that we are today. Um, so while my, while I'm in my second year, Rama, I'm serving at a, um, a youth ministry in a town called Muskogee, Oklahoma, which is about 45 minutes away from where Rama was at. And so every Wednesday we're driving 45 minutes to our youth ministry. And we did that for, and what, so my whole, my whole second year the and the summer, we were making that drive every week and I finally got to the point where I had a conversation with Tara and I said, babe, I think we need to pray about moving to Muskogee after I graduate school because I have a really hard time with serving in the youth ministry, but not being a part of the church. Mm. Um, I don't want to just be somebody that's, that's part of this youth ministry and serving like faithfully like this, but like, I don't go to the church on Sunday mornings. Like it really, it really, and so I was like, let's pray about it. Well, we prayed and we decided let's move to this small town to like fully dive into like helping serve at this church. And we move out there in August of 2011. And at the time Tara was pregnant. And so things 
um, things were looking great, man. Like my wife's pregnant. We're, 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 we, I just graduated from Bible school. Um, we're serving at this youth ministry that was killing it, bro. Like the youth pastor there was phenomenal. We, we were, we, it was a church of like 80 to a hundred and the youth ministry would see like 120 on a Wednesday night. Um, like they were just, they were killing it. It was like the place to be in that smaller town, um, was growing like crazy. We had some amazing moments of just God moving and doing some incredible things there and things were going great. And that was in August. Well, then in October, the youth pastor and his wife come over to our house to tell us that he had been cheating on her with the worship pastor of the youth ministry. The pastor was now pregnant and that they were going to be stepping down from the youth ministry that we have just moved two months ago, (laughs) moved our lives down there. And it's a tough moment. Um, He was somebody that I looked up to a lot. And so it was tough to hear that that took place uh, and to, to watch it all unfold. Well, then the, whenever they stepped away, there were some people on the board of that church that overly complicated things. They overly, um, basically they, I don't, I don't know how to even really explain it, but basically they felt like the best thing to do was shut the youth ministry down. Mm. So now here we were with no youth ministry to serve in. Um, there was natural hurts that took place, not that from how the church treated it. So we didn't feel like that was a church that we needed to attend anymore. So we had just moved. And then within two months, we're now living in this small town, not attending the church that we moved there to be a part of. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that was tough, but we still had, still, my wife was pregnant, you know, it's our first kid. It's an exciting moment on December 15th, um, which is my birthday. That's why I always remember my birthday. We go to the doctor to find out that we're having a baby boy. And I've always wanted to have a son first. And so that was such an exciting day to hear like, man, we're having me a baby boy. Like I'm getting my son first, super excited. And so, man, we're just, everything was for the most part, as difficult as that situation was like, God was still being faithful. We're still excited. Like things are, things are still overly going well in life. I I was assistant manager at a job. I just promoted assistant store manager. And um, so, you know, job wise, things were still at least doing good. And then Christmas day of 2011, the whole day is about, you know, presents for my son and um, great day. We, we had to drive to Broken Arrow, which was like 45 minutes away. And on the way home, we're we're driving, everything's still good. We're, you know, reminiscing on the day and we get to the house and Tara said, I have to go to the bathroom. Can you get to start getting the presents out? And I was like, yeah, of course. So she goes in and goes to the bathroom and all of a sudden I hear her scream from in the bathroom and she was bleeding really bad. Um, and I run in there to see what's going on. She's bleeding. And so we immediately take her to the hospital, to the hospital emergency room. And long story short, we spend um, a little bit of time in there. They have to take us via ambulance to Tulsa because the hospitals were there. Um, and long story short, on December 27th, my son was born at 20, 21 weeks and six days. Um, super premature and so premature that they told us that we they gave us a, the diff, most difficult decision I've ever talked about following peace earlier the most difficult decision I've ever made in my entire life is when that doctor came into that room and said okay here's the deal 
your son's lungs aren't developed yet. Um, that's the number one thing that, that a new, new, that a preemie needs to survive in an incubator is the least the lungs developed. And that doesn't happen until 22 weeks. So if they, like, if your son is born anytime before 22 weeks, like that's, that's danger zone. What that means is, is that there's only a 5% chance of survival. And then within that 5% chance, there's still another 95% chance. There's still another 95% chance that says they're going to be severely disabled in some way, yeah. whether that's mentally, physically, whatever it may be. They're like, so you have to make a decision. If you want to incubate, you can. We will allow it. Basically telling us like it was unwise to try to do that because you're probably causing more hurt and pain than than what's worth it um and so like so you have to decide two things one do you want to incubate and two if you don't want to incubate do you even want to see the kid and so we spent you know which was several hours just praying about it trying to seek peace like i talked about and we both felt like it was it was selfish of us to try to keep him alive um, we didn't feel like we had the faith to see a crazy miracle. Um, we just felt like for him, it was better for us to just say, we don't, we, we, we'll just enjoy the time that we have. And um, we actually even told him like, we don't even, we don't like, we're too hurt. We don't even want to see him. Like take him, like whatever y'all do, like that's, that's what y'all do. And then whenever he was born, my father-in-law went and saw him and he comes back in the room crying and he's like this dude doesn't hurt my wife's dad he doesn't show emotion like he he's got a dry sense of humor when he laughs he doesn't cry he's just he's just a steady dude you know what i'm saying like yeah. so to see him come in hysterically crying i knew it was special and he goes you have to see him he's beautiful you have to see him and i said okay like i'll go get him and I went into a different room, grabbed him, and he was, he was like, I mean, a little baby, you know what I'm saying? Like just a extremely small, um, but but still formed just like a baby. And yeah. I'll never forget because his, his skin was see-through. And so like, I could see his heart pumping, which was actually really, really cool experience. I knew that he was alive. Like I knew it wasn't just like this lifeless being that I'm holding. Like, no, my son was alive. Like I could see his heartbeat. And so we got to spend two hours and 45 minutes with, with him, which was an amazing, incredible two hours and 45 minutes. Um, they told us he would probably live for 30 minutes. So even to us, that, that time frame was, was God, God's way of showing, like, even in, in things that look like failure, mm. like there's still victory that, that's there. Was, um, so, yeah. And so we got to spend a lot of time with him. My favorite moment of my life was looking at him and just saying, Grayson, I just want you to know that daddy loves you. And whether it was me flinching that caused him to flinch or whatever it was, doesn't really matter because to me, I saw him flinch and it can acknowledge of like, I know dad, you know, like, I know, I know this, I know, I know you love me and such an incredible moment. And I'll just say this, man, like there's so much that took place over that next, over the next few months after this, man, like I went through that, like, dude, when I tell you there's anybody out there that spent time being mad at God, like I have been mad at God. Like I was pissed 
I cursed him out multiple times. Um, I used every profane word in the book you can imagine towards him. I was, and it was is that I didn't understand. I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand. I was like, why me? Like I literally just graduated Bible school. I, I, I was willing to follow what I thought was the voice of the Lord by moving to this small town to be a part of this church. Like I was doing and my son dies while we had that youth pastor that cheated on his wife, got somebody pregnant, had a healthy baby. Mm. We had two students. We had two students in that same youth ministry that got pregnant and had a healthy baby. And, and so I saw these two sinful situations have a healthy baby where I was married, you know, following after the Lord and I'm the one who lost my son. Mm. And that was my biggest, like, I had a, such a hard time connecting those dots of don't understand how that makes any sense. Like if that's what serving you looks like, I'm cool, homie. Like I'd rather go live in sin and know that I can at least have healthy baby. Like I just, all the things that went through my head during that time. And then um, it's amazing whenever I tell you that I was so hurt in six months felt like such a blur and I'll, I'll never forget. I go on what was his, his due date um, was May the 2nd, I believe. It, it was early, early May. And I go to the gravesite and I'm hurt, bro. I had to take some friends with me that I knew were men of faith because like, I just needed people to carry me in that moment. Yeah. And I go there and I just break down because I was still at this place of just, I just didn't understand. And I'll never forget, bro. I was kneeling down on the ground, like hysterically crying. And all of a sudden I felt like a weighted blanket on my shoulders. And I looked up, I remember looking up because I thought it was, I thought it was either one of my hands mm. actually had laid a blanket on me. And I look up and they're both eyes closed, not touching me, just praying over me. And I was so confused because I was like, what the heck was that then? Like, I know for sure. I like physically felt something. It was like, like, it was like I physically felt something on me. And I'll never forget that God literally just, like, he didn't say this, but I just knew that that was his peace. Mm-hmm. That I experienced his peace in a tangible way. You know, the Bible talks about there's this peace that passes all understanding. And I felt that that day, man. Like I felt that even though I didn't understand, even though I was hurt, even though I was broken, even though I was mad at God, even though I cursed God, even though I I didn't understand, God said, let me give you peace because my peace will bring the healing that you need. And what's crazy, bro, is that since that day, I have cried very few times unless there were tears of joy thinking about my son. Like there's no hurt. There's no pain. God was able to use that piece to show me so many cool situations that took place. You know, I talked about the two hours and 45 minutes was so awesome. One of Tara's friends from work, because she watched how our relate me and Tara handled that situation. She gave her life to the Lord. Wow. Um, we, I had a, I had a terrible relationship. They approve of me. Um, they, 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 accepted me because they knew my wife loved me, but that was it. Like we didn't have any, like we weren't close at all since that day. They treat me like a son. 
I'm part of the family. Like they, they watched how they now know that like, no, this dude's legit, you know? And it's funny because like in a situation that, that seems like could bring extreme pain that, you know, me and my wife were only two years into marriage, less than two years into marriage. And we, that's something that can destroy a family. Mm-hmm. Like that's something yeah. that could have easily caused ser- serious marital issues with me and Tara. And all of those things, we just watch God strengthen us. And now God has been able to use that to help us um, help other people. I mean, we've helped so many people that have had miscarriages or, or stillbirths or, um, or premature babies or different things like that. Like we've been able to help so many people just because of our story. And really it all comes down to like, even, even when I wasn't ready to receive it, even when I wasn't asking for it, like God gave me his peace and no one tell me that God wasn't real. Yeah. You know, like that just was like, it just solidified so much in me. And the best part too, is, you know, I, I talked about how I've had like this up and down relationship with God and how I would, you know, go back and forth. Well, honestly, like that never fully stopped. Like even when I went to Kansas and got my life better and even my, my second year rainbow that I was so much more focused, I still felt like I was at any point could break and go live a completely different life. But that situation, rather than it sending me away from God, and since that day, I have not had that roller coaster experience any longer. And like I, I've been just on a steady, constant increase of of spiritual growth, and have not had any moments where I've you know where I've strayed away or done anything crazy. And so, um, and it even just kind of put, put a staple in my in my walk with God too. And so, yeah, man, such a powerful like such a powerful thing how God can use our pain. You know, the Bible also talks about how he turns all things together for good for those who love him or called according to his purpose. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't, my situation was God, what's God's doing. I don't think that was his design, Yeah, but I do see how he worked in the midst of a broken situation to bring so much health, healing, growth and everything to both me and my wife. Um, so yeah, man, it's like so thankful and then just, you know, now here we are, three kids, you know, like three healthy, three healthy kids, um, our pregnancy, um, just to finalize that story. So here, just, I'll do this part quick. Just, I know we've been talking for a long time, but um, the problem was, is that Tara had what's called the incompetent cervix. Mm. And essentially just means that whenever the baby had enough weight, her cervix could no longer stay closed to hold the baby in. Mm. So she, had, so she, and the only way to find out you have that is for a situation like this to happen. Um, and so whenever she got pregnant with Gavin, their solution to that is, is that they go and time they put a stitch in that cervix to basically keep it closed for the pregnancy. So with Gavin, she had to get a stitch. She had to go on bed rest at like 20 weeks. And so she was bed rest for half of the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then towards, we, we, we were also having to go to the doctor every single week for that whole time. And it was just, man, when I tell you that when you go through that much in a pregnancy, yes, I'm thankful. Obviously the pregnancy worked out great. We have a beautiful baby boy, but it makes you question like, do we want another kid? Yeah. Like, do we want to go through something like that again? Like that was a lot of work. That was a lot of hard, you know, that, that was a lot. And so I remember whenever we were talking about having a, another, a second kid, I told my wife, I said, I know this, I said, my faith is strong to believe in miracles right now. And 
I don't have another pregnancy like we did with Gavin. I don't want you to have to go on bed rest. I don't want you to have to go to the doctor every week. Like I want us to have a normal pregnancy. And so that's what I'm going to be believing. And I said, I need you to believe that with me. She was like, absolutely. I want the same thing. So we prayed and we believed that at the beginning of the pregnancy. And because of our former pregnancies, we had to go to a high risk doctor just because, you know, procedure at that point, like we had already gone through these two, two difficult pregnancies. And after three trips, I think it was to the um, high risk doctor, the doctor looked at, he says, I don't know what's going on, but he goes, your cervix is actually getting longer as the baby gets bigger and you don't need to see me anymore. Wow. So we got to stop going to the high risk doctor. She had a completely normal pregnancy with our daughter. And then we ended up getting pregnant for a third time or technically fourth time with our third kid. And guess what? Pregnancy, same thing. They still wanted us to go see a high risk doctor. The high, this high risk doctor said we only had to come one time. We went once and he goes, yeah, I don't need to see you. Everything is perfectly healthy. So not only did we end up having three beautiful, beautiful kids that we have with us now, we also watched God heal my wife of the, the physical condition that caused her first pregnancy to go south. And so and it's just the whole thing all around. Um, just such an incredible part of, of our testimony as a family, man. Yeah, man, it's powerful, man, because you, um, you get to know people like that and it does that right there specifically can wreck that can actually, um, kind of turn people away from God and not even want anything to, to do with them at all. But to see that, that man, um, I understand. Yeah, we all, sometimes we fall short, but you still kept going you still kept running your race, you know, and to see where you're at now, you're amazing father, of course, you know, you amazing husband. I'm pretty sure you're also an amazing youth pastor, but man, uh, I'm, I don't know if you, you've ever, if anybody hadn't told you in a while, but I'm proud of you, man. I'm very Thank proud you of so you. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. But no, man, you, uh, dude, that, I ain't gonna lie. I wanted to cry, but I ain't got no <laughs> tissue here. So it's just like, okay, I got to, Cause I did, whenever you had talked about that over there at, um, um, at the expand conference, you did kind of mention that and, and dude, it was, I, I literally did have tears, but it's just like, man, like to, to just keep running, dude. I, I admire you for that, man. That, that's, that's it's so that. awesome, man. And, and that. Like I said, I wish I, I wish I was perfect along the way, you know, that six months I turned into something I wasn't proud of, you know, but, um, I believe that God has grace and mercy on us in the midst of our pain. And um, at the end of the day, I still had my heart open enough to at least receive his peace at that moment. And so I'm thankful, you know, I'm thankful for, you know, my relationship with God and just his, his desire to uphold us, man. Like that's what he does. You know, like he holds us in his palm and he makes sure that what we need is given to us. Yeah. You know, like, nurturing, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And I, I mean, I, we, I just kind of wanted to ask just a couple of questions before we get off here, but you served with, uh, at father's house. How, how was that experience? And then also going to, um, what's the church called that you're, you're at now? It's called grace. Yeah. It's called grace. And, um, compared so, to that. So yeah, for sure. Um, so just a quick fast forward moment. We, we leave that from that, from having Grace and our first son, we take some time off. We then get hired at a church up in uh, Oklahoma, 
and was a youth pastor there for a couple of years. Um, oh, super so you, difficult. Oh, you were a youth pastor before, again, before. I, yeah, before, I was, yeah. And so, but that was just a, without getting any detail because there's just so much to that too that's just irrelevant, honestly. But, um, it was a very difficult two years at that place. Um, mm. And it broke me. And I left from that place, just burnt out from ministry already in two years. And I went to Father's house simply because John was my mentor. And when I went there, I literally told John, I looked him in the face, I said, John, I am not to church to serve. I am coming to your church to heal and figure out what God wants to do with me next. And I straight up told him, I said, I said, I'm going to tell you this. If there is a gum wrapper on the floor, I will not be the one picking it up. <laughs> like I literally was like, I was so hurt from the church. I literally was just like, bro, I'm, I'll come on Sunday because I believe the church is important, but I, I, ain't, I ain't lifting a finger to serve. Like I'm just, I need to truly heal. And John allowed me to do that. Mm. He never asked me to help with anything. He never asked me to help with an event. He never asked me to set up chairs. He never asked me to set up tables. And if you've been in ministry for any amount of time, you know how much tables and chairs you end up setting up. Um, he never asked me to do anything. He let me really heal. And six months goes by and I finally feel like God has restored me and I'm ready to see a step into this thing. And the funniest thing is that what I noticed is, is that their sound and media was terrible. Like worship was so hard for me to get through just because I'm a critical person and it was far from excellent. And I was just like, I cannot. And so rather than complain about it, but somebody needs to take notes about this. If I'm talking to you, you know, then, then be, be convicted. But rather than complain about it, I said, let me step in and serve and fix it. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, I volunteered in the, in, I said, John, let me run sound. Run sound. Like, let me run sound every week. Let me help make it better. Let me help, help worship sound good. I just want to run sound for you. He goes, okay. Like, I'm down. Like, whatever you want to do. And so it started off me just running sound. And then he promoted me to media director where I was over sound, lyrics, you know, all the media. Then he promoted me, um, ended up promoting me to children's pastor. And so me and my wife spent time doing children's ministry. Then uh, this is a time when Daniel and Deborah were, were stepping away. And so they needed a youth pastor. And so Tara said that she felt like she wanted to stay in children's ministry. I said, okay, perfect. I want to go do youth ministry. So, but, and then um, we had some other people from the church um, that were in leadership step away. And so, John needed somebody to step in and, and help him. And so I stepped up into associate pastor role. And so within a three-year period, I went from not picking up gum wrappers to being associate pastor. And it's funny because like how I ended up in Texas was, is my buddy, Jonathan, who worked at this church down here, was calling me simply because he knew I was connected with Camp Awakening mm. and they needed a youth pastor. So his intention was not to call me to be the youth pastor. His intention was literally to call me to see if I knew anybody that would be interested in moving to Texas. And he goes, Hey man, you know, you know, anybody to be interested in moving to Texas? He's like, I know you're connected to a lot of youth pastors. Like if you could get us some connections, I'd appreciate it. And the funny thing is he called John too, because he knows John's connected all around this country. Yeah. And, um, and it's funny because I, said, man, I think I know one guy. And so I called this one guy that I thought might be interested who had been a youth pastor of a larger youth ministry before. And, um, I immediately disqualified myself because I've only ever worked in small churches. And so I didn't even think about myself. I was just like, okay, I got this guy that did it before. And I call this guy and he literally says to me on the phone, first thing, 
he, he, I tell him about the job opportunity. He goes, Josh, I said, what? He goes, why are you calling me trying to give me your job? <laughs> and I was like, Hey bro, like, what do you mean? Like, what you about? he goes, bro. He's like, God put that so clear in my spirit right now. That job is for you. He goes, and then he gave me just some words of, of knowledge and words of encouragement. Um, just talking about how, like, he basically called out the fact that, like, I didn't see myself as fit for that job because I've only worked in small churches. Mm. And uh, and I realized quickly, like, man, that's so spot on. Like, that's exactly where I'm at. Like, I don't feel like I, I'm qualified. Like, I've, like, this youth ministry is twice as big as my church that I serve at. Like, I, I've, I'm used to 15 kids, not not 300. You know? I don't know. Dang. Yeah. This is like, this is so different than what I'm used to. Um, but anyways, one thing led to another, I ended up calling him back and I said, man, I might be interested like me. He goes, he goes, you know, what's crazy. He goes, I, I wanted to ask you, he goes, but I also know that like you're super connected with John and father's house. And I didn't want to like step, like, I didn't want to cross those bounds with theirs. You know, he goes, I didn't want to do that. He said, but man, if God is leading, like I'm so for it. So he told his executive pastor, his executive pastor called me and his, his pastor, which I'm so grateful for how they handled the whole thing. Honestly, first thing he said to me, he says, how's your, he goes, why are you leaving the church right now? And I said, man, I said, I feel like this is God calling me. I was like, I don't feel like I'm leaving. I feel like God's sending me. And he goes, okay. He goes, well, then I need your pastor to agree with that. He goes, we won't hire you if your pastor doesn't like if it's going to cause problems for your current church, we will leave God for somebody else. Mm. I just thought that was so no, like such a, such a honest and noble and such a high character moment Yeah, for them to say like, we're not in the business of destroying another church to help our church. Like we want you to like, so the hardest conversation I've probably ever had in my life was sitting down with John, my mentor, my best friend, my pastor. Like, so he held so many hats in my life to sit down and tell him that I was leaving. And I remember, man, we went to Panera Bread. And when I tell you, bro, I don't know that I've ever been that nervous. Like, <laughs> I was way more nervous for that conversation than I was. Asked Tara's parents if I could marry her. More nervous than I was asked Terry to marry her. Like, literally, I was so nervous for that conversation, bro. I was like, I felt like I understood what it was like when Jesus sweat blood in the Bible from, <laughs> from, being, from, from his nerves. Man, I was just like, man, I could sweat blood right now. Um, but I sit down with John and never forget, man, like I sat there and I was like so nervously talking to him about like, yeah, like I got this call and, um, you know, I kind of just explained the whole situation to him and he's just sitting there with like this awkward, like half smile smirk thing on his face. Like it was just so like, it made it worse. It made the conversation with John, like you'll, you'll know exactly what face you were making, but um, it just, it made it tough because I was trying to figure out like, what is he thinking? Like, why does he have that look on his face? And then, I'm, you know, I cry, of course, everything. Like, I love John so much, man. I wanted his approval so badly. Um, I also, I, I knew that this was God. Mm -hmm. And I, I, he stops me when I get done. He goes, Josh, you know what's funny about this? He goes, Jonathan called me too. And I was, I haven't called Jonathan back yet, but I was already planning on telling him he should hire you. And to see that, like, such agreement from John was such like a confirming thing of like, okay, this is God. Like God has already been speaking to John before I ever even talked to him about it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, man, moved down to Texas and my first year was difficult. And like I said, I had never worked at a big church before, bro. It was so different. But what's crazy is I love how God is so strategic because I never had any desire to ever be an associate pastor. 
it just kind of happened at father's house. Mm. But I learned so much in that associate pastor role that I was immediately able to apply went to be a youth pastor at a bigger church, just because the higher demands, the different things you have to do. Like I was equipped and ready for it. Um, you know, I, I had a staff for the first time. Like I had two paid employees on the youth team that worked full time. I had never had that in my entire life and I didn't know what to do with them. Yeah. But I, I had so much that I learned from father's house that helped me just step in and be successful, man. And God has done amazing things, even through COVID season. Um, we had over 500 all call responses last year um, in our youth ministry, um, which I'm so proud of just watching God continue to work in the midst of all the trials and tribulations and things we had to deal with in, in 2020. Um, man, God has been good, bro. Like just God's used everything that, that we've all life. Yeah put them together to, to make us successful where we're at, man. And so, um, yeah, man, it's been a fun journey. Dude, man, that that's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I didn't know how many students you, you had over there in, um, in grace. So, so yeah. we have a, we have about, um, we have 280 students that before COVID it's tough because, um, so hard to gauge where we're really at right now. But, uh, before COVID we had about 280 students that called this their church home. But a, but a good portion of them only come once a month or, you know, mm. six months. And so realistically, where we were at is we had um, 120 to 140 on a Sunday morning and then about 40 to 50 on a Wednesday night. There were different sets of kids. Um, so close to the 200 mark. Um, never that many once or like 180 or something like that. But um, yeah. Now we, we, it's significantly less than that. Like we, we run about 60 on Sundays now. Um, but it's allowed us to, to learn so much and fix so much in the ministry. Like I'll never, like yes, numerically, but bro, our ministry is so much healthier right now than what it was when I took over. Um, God has, God has just used so many situations from me and my team to, to really just clean up a bunch of holes that that's the thing COVID did. Like COVID just exposed holes. And it helped us know, like, okay, God, like, give us some wisdom on how we can fill this one and fill that one. And so, um, yeah, man, I'm excited for what's what's next. We're super healthy. We have some amazing leaders. Um, my middle school pastor, Adrian, he's phenomenal, man. Just super solid young kid. And things. Man, I'm excited for what God has in the future for us. So, yeah. Um, one more question. Um, this generation to me, you know, serving in youth is way different than past generations. You know, like, let's say, um, man, like I'm trying to think, okay. Like say, um, Chris delay, you know, when they were, when they were here, this generation now is way different. I don't know how it is for y'all over there or how it was, you know, for you, you know, from going from father's house to, to grace, you know, but what things have you changed or what things have you noticed in these students now that maybe we need to change as leaders in order to reach them better? Um, man, we've, we've, the biggest thing that we've changed is we're putting even more emphasis than what was already there on relationships. Uh, that's one thing I've seen is that, man, I got really good at doing services. Um, that's always in, in the faith world, um, the faith background, Rama circles, like 
you got to be good at doing services. You got to be good. You got to the worship is powerful. That you allow the spirit to move. That you, you know, that all these different things. And I'm not discounting the importance of those things because I do believe they're very important, and very vital. But at the end of the day, if you're not making true connections with these kids, especially these kids today, this generation you talk about being different, it's so different. They need connection, true, genuine connection now more than ever. Mm. And so like everything we've changed has been so relationship focused. And so our structure now is we do worship, a short message and small groups every week. Um, and our purpose behind is we want to build relationships with kids that are the same, that are the same age. So we do it grade based. And two, we want to make sure that they're taking something home every single week that they can apply. And so we challenge our kids. We say, don't try to get everything from today that's said. Don't try to remember every scripture. Don't try to remember every moment. I'm going to challenge you to remember one thing. Let one thing stick out to you that you can actually apply. Because it's one thing to just remember. It's one thing to just retain it. But it's another thing to apply. Like we want you to apply the word. And so like, that's one of the topics or questions every single week is what did you learn today that you can take home? And we challenge them on a weekly basis to always be looking for that one thing. And it, it's awesome because like, you know, in, in those small group times, like hearing the things that they take away is always so in the message, but then getting to host, like I, I do our, me and my wife do the seniors and getting to be a part of that small group is awesome because it lets you know that like the things that you're saying are actually hitting. Mm. And some of the things they say, I'm like, man, like you interpreted what I said in a way that I didn't even intend to say it, but like, obviously God was speaking to you. And the cool thing is, is that most of them don't even realize that's what it is, but it's allowed me to teach them that that's what that is. Yeah. Like you heard it different than I said it because God shifted it and molded it to fit into your life because that's the kind of God he is. And so, man, that would be, that'd be the main thing is that just relationships, um, they have to know that we truly care for them. It can't be surface level and kids are so smart, man. Like they will read through your, if you're fake, they'll read through that so fast and they'll never trust you and they'll never open up to you. But if you can show them that you genuinely care, that you genuinely want to be a part of their life, that you genuinely care about the things that they care about, they'll allow you to speak to areas, um, that they would not normally let people speak to. And so. Yeah. I don't know if that's a big change. Like that's probably how it should always be. But I think that, that naturally it's so easy to get caught up in um, making sure your services are great, making sure your events are great. And in the background, in the background relationship is, is important in those, in those services and events. But we try to make that more of our foreground um, focus is even if our event sucks, did we build good relationships? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm such a, like I said, I'm a critical person. I want everything to be done with, with high excellence and that's a good, good quality. But I've had to teach myself lately that sometimes it's okay if everything in the service failed, as long as a kid that's never been connected with before feels connected. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's work, like all those failures, like I'm the only one that sees those anyways. And so, um, you know, that kid being connected with is the most important thing. So. Yes, sir. No, man, that's good, man. That's some good advice for sure. Um, but man, that's, uh, that's all I got, man. That's all I have for today. Unless you want, you have anything else to add? I don't, man. I'm, I've, I've talked a lot. Um, just excited for what you're doing. Like I said, once again, man, thank you for allowing me to be on. I'm proud of you for, you know, you talk about being proud of me, bro. I'm proud of you getting to 
watch what you do, not only on No Holds, but man, just, um, you know, I, I watch Expand as well. I follow you guys on social media and I, I see you over there doing offering and different, different things to help, man. That's why I just want to encourage you, man. Like you're making an impact, Jeremy. Um, you're a phenomenal dude. Um, you have a great heart. Um, those kids see that. Um, and so just keep pressing, man. Keep being the man that you are. And God's going to continue to do great things through you, man. So thank you once again, just for allowing me to, to be on, man. I'm honored. Yeah, man, definitely. I'm going to have to have you back on though. I got to have you back on just to ask you some other questions that, that are now just kind of starting to come in, but I'll, I'll wait. I'm going to let, I'm going to let the people wait on that for sure too. Give me, give me on a second time before Ben, that, that'll be, that'll be really, (laughs) (laughs) that'll make you really happy. (laughs) Oh man, dude. Yeah. Oh yeah. No man. Sure. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. I can't wait to see what he's going to say. He's probably going to text me like, really? You got Josh before me, really? But no, uh, I love it, man. I love everything you had to say. Your testimony is, man, super powerful. Like I said, I didn't really know who you were. I've just gotten to talk to you, you know, here and there. But right. just to hear your your life story, man, it, it's amazing. It, and, man, it, it'll change lives. I know it will, you know. And um, you keep doing, you keep pursuing, you keep just doing whatever you're called to do, man, because I, I know you're doing an amazing job over there as well. So I appreciate you, man. Yes, sir. Um Social media, you are on social media. If somebody wanted to kind of reach out, you know, maybe they needed some advice or something, um, where, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, for sure. So um, you can reach out to me, uh, social media, any social media platform, um, Instagram, um, TikTok too. We've done that TikTok game. Um, but it's just J Ring says S E Z. So J ring and then sez on any of those platforms um same thing and then social media just josh ring um you can probably find me through jeremy if you're not if you're not already friends with me but um yeah yeah hey and yeah, if, if I'm you, done. you get a chance <laughs> go and go follow this dude on tiktok this dude is amazing man he is changing people's lives on there too like just to My see son, him. bro yes your son and i know <laughs> You didn't make your daughter cry on purpose, right? That was not on purpose. No, that was that was definitely uh, she was shocked. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. But yes, you y'all go check him out, man. He is doing amazing things on there as well. And just yeah, your son, you know, getting to see him pray, dude. That is that is a blessing, bro. That that blesses me. I love it. Yeah, bro. Me too, right. man. I'm never. So it's funny, you know. You want your kids to do amazing things, and you know, I'm a big sports fan, so I want my kids to play sports, of course, and. Um, here we are seven years old and my proudest moment is him praying for people on social media and he's had videos go viral because of it and um we got fifty-five thousand followers and such an incredible thing and they're not following me they follow him man like he's already we've had so many messages i mean i've had a mom reach out to me her kid was dealing with seizures really bad and we prayed for him and the doctors have been trying to get his seizures under control for years and after we prayed for him, the doctors finally figured out how to get his seizures under control. Mm. And she reached out to us. She goes, I don't think that would have happened had your son not prayed. And then I cried that day. Cause I'm like, man, that's such like, that's why we do this. You know what I'm saying? And like, it's been fun too. Cause like here recently he's been rewarded. Like we've, he've, he found out he likes Fortnite. And so we've had multiple people send him money to buy skins and stuff on Fortnite. Um, and I just, that's been able to, it's given me an opportunity to teach him that when we're, spreading the love of God to other people, 
God has an amazing way of blessing us. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> for him to learn that at such a young age is so awesome. Yeah. And so yeah, I'm a proud dad. He's a good kid. All my kids are good, man. I'm blessed with some phenomenal kids and you are too, man. So praise God for, for the little blessings we got running around. So Oh dude, yes, for sure. Heck yeah, man. Well, man, I love you, bro. Um, me too, be praying for you always, man. So uh, this is all that we have for tonight, but until next time we are out. Peace. Dude. Good stuff, oh, man. Very good. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I, I, I do want to do one where we're actually together though. One yeah, day. I'd love to. One day. I know we go it changes, and this it changes the dynamic of it. So, Oh yeah. Well, I know some days are, one day when we actually go down there and her brother lives in Wiley, dude, okay. we, we, I would definitely be down to do something for sure. Yeah. We got students in Wiley, man. So been to Wiley many times. We got, we got kids that play sports over there and stuff, man. So it's not far at all. Nice. 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 Heck yeah, man. Well, dude, proud of you, man. Appreciate you, homie. Yes, sir. If you can just do me one favor after we get off, if you can yep. do like maybe it doesn't have to be a long video, but send me just something of you kind of sharing your experience on the podcast and then encouraging others to listen and watch, follow, subscribe, whatever. So, yeah. Well, other than that, man, I will try to have this out this weekend, sometime this weekend. Cool. Look forward to it, man. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you, bro. Cool. Yes, sir. Love you, bro. Love you too, man. You'll be safe. We'll do. We'll see you. All right. Later.